I want you to turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 8. The book of Romans chapter 8. If you're watching us online, go on and grab your Bible as well. Uh, if you have a, a tablet or phone that you're going to be reading from, we'll also have it here on the screen. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I just like the way it reads in this version. But Romans chapter um, Romans chapter 8, and we are going to begin in verse 18. And we're continuing our series, Defying the Urge to Quit. Defying the Urge to Quit. So Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 18. If you got it, say, I got it. Amen. Before we read really quick, and I was just reminded of this, we had three confirmed people that gave their life to Christ last night. Three confirmed people that gave their life to Christ. There's probably many more. And there was a young man in the back that was crying out to the Lord. So God moved in a powerful way. But that's what it's all about. But Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 18. And it reads, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Mm. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised. How many of you would like a new resurrected body? We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for in our weakness, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And our pastor's favorite verse, this is why we say, with Jesus, you're destined to win. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Amen. I want to speak to you today from the subject matter, messages of hope. Messages of hope. Messages of hope. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for everyone that is gathered here in person, all of those that are watching. Father, we pray that you administer to each and every one of us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would bring understanding 
would bring comfort, would bring conviction, that you would challenge us. But may we walk out of here changed. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much for standing for a long time. I think all of us in this room can agree defying the urge to quit cannot be done alone. How many of you can testify to that? If it were not for people in your life, whether it was friends, whether it was family members, whether it was pastors, coaches, mentors, you can't do this alone, defying the urge to quit. I'm so thankful, and, I've, and I keep saying this, but I'm so thankful for the mentors and the pastors that I've had in my life. I would not be standing here today if it were not for people that believed in me and gave me an opportunity to use the gifts that God had placed within me, and not only that, to even discover my gifts. I'm thankful. It's something we can't do alone. Many of us might be on the verge, even today, Those of you watching online, you may be on the verge of quitting school. I'm talking to somebody, my college students, high school seniors. Maybe you're going for your master's or PhD and you're trying to figure out, man, how in the world can I balance all of this? I'm married now. I have children. Well, if the Lord can do it through my wife, he can do it through you as well. God is faithful. Don't allow anything to keep you or hold you back from what the Lord has planned or in store for you. But maybe you're on the verge of quitting school. Maybe you're on the verge of quitting a job when the Lord has not given you a clarity or a peace about moving away from that job. I'm talking to somebody. Maybe you're on the verge of quitting a diet or a workout plan. Been there. (laughs) Giving up on a relationship. Quitting the fight. And overcoming an illness. Maybe you're on that verse today. Withdrawing from our responsibilities as a parent. All the parents said, I've thought it. (laughs) There have been moments. Maybe you're watching or you're here and you've thought about ending your life. quitting on church, and even quitting on God. As Pastor Frank has discussed in previous messages, we all have quitting points, including Jesus. Including Jesus. I can remember when I truly gave my life to Jesus in college, I had some quitting points along the way. My temptation to quit stemmed from my desire to live for the Lord, but I was finding it difficult to overcome my flesh. I was finding it difficult to engage in a process called sanctification, whereby the Holy Spirit seeks to make us more and more like Christ. I had a desire to live for God. I had a desire to be pleasing unto him, and I wanted to live for him with all of my heart, but I was struggling in my flesh. I would take one step forward, but then two steps back. I would walk in purity one day, but the next day I would fall and I would be taken under. But one thing that I can testify about today is the fact that God did not give up on me, but that he was patient. He was so long suffering with me. And I have to believe that he was able to see my frailties even before he decided to draw me by his presence. 
through his Holy Spirit. He knew all of this. What do you do when you, when you find yourself falling into the same trap, even though you know it's wrong, but in the moment, you don't want to be right? Oh, I'm talking to somebody. Then momentary satisfaction is swallowed up by shame and guilt. This vicious, vicious, vicious cycle met its match when I started to become aware of the messages of hope that God was sending my way. And I believe that there are messages of hope that are being sent your way as well. And for those of you watching, God has a plan. He has a purpose. All things, as we just read, work together for the good of those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Don't allow that mistake that you made to define the rest of your life. Take it, take responsibility for it and speak. Yes, this was a bad decision, but I know that my God is faithful and just to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. A just man or woman may fall seven times, but they rise back up again. I'm not allowing this to determine or deter me from the purpose that God has for me. And if I need to make restitution or go seek out forgiveness from the person that I've offended, I will do it. I will not allow pride to dominate my life. Is that your testimony? I've mentioned in the past how Romans chapters 5 through 8, my favorite chapters in all the Bible, have helped me tremendously. These chapters have given me a firm understanding of my identity in Christ and also the ability to overcome my flesh. Read it when you have a chance. Romans 5 through 8, my favorite scriptures and all the Bible. The reason why these scriptures are powerful is because the enemy would try to trip you up and cause you to fall because you don't know who you are. This was one of the tricks of the enemy in the garden when he came in the form of a serpent and spoke to Eve. One of the things that he said to her is you will be like God knowing good and evil. But if she had only known that she was already made in the image of God. But how many of us have lived our lives, maybe not now, but in the past where we didn't know who we were and the enemy was using that against us. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. He says, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate, but if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it or doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life. Listen to this. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, 
What a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. I am thankful that the Bible is real. I am thankful that the apostle Paul wrote this in the scriptures because there's hope for me. There's hope for us. Have you ever been in a season in your life or in a place in your life where you were doing all that you could to try to live for God, but you kept falling short? I've been there. And may I submit to you, I'm still in a process of sanctification. God's still working on me. He's still carving out the rough edges. Make no mistake about it, Faith Church. Jesus Christ is our greatest hope. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not having a certain amount of money, not having a certain amount of success, not a relation. Jesus is our hope. He fills all things. He gives life meaning and purpose. It is Jesus. And I'm not just talking about a religion. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm not just talking about a place that you go to on Wednesdays or Sundays, but it is a lifelong relationship that is vibrant on a daily basis where you're spending time with God and his word, where you're spending time in worship as you're going to work, when you're spending time dancing and having fun before the Lord because you're thankful for what he's done in your life and you don't care what people think. I was dancing like crazy last night. And I don't care because y'all don't know what the Lord has done in my life. You don't know what he's brought, what he's brought me through, what he saved me from. How patient he's been with me or how patient he's been with me. I can't help but just get excited and want to dance before him because he's good. Even though I can't dance, I try to do a little something. (laughs) But his life, his sacrifice and his resurrection are all communicating to us that we are more than conquerors through him. Our hope increases as our knowledge in him increases. Did you hear me? Our hope increases as our knowledge of him increases. The more that I discover who Jesus is, this is why it's important to read the gospels, especially if you're a new believer. You may be watching, maybe you just gave your life to Christ. This is why it's important to go to the gospel of John because you need to know everything that you can about Jesus. And as you do, you will experience liberation in your life because he is our hope. Not only that, but he has given us messages of hope through unrecognized and and even ignored sources. One such message of hope is examining the life of Paul, which brings me to my first point. Paul's life is a message of hope. You do realize that before Paul was converted in Acts chapter 9, that he persecuted Christians. Persecuted Christians, couldn't stand them was dragging them off to prison. He was actually the one that was consenting to a man by the name of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, 8. He was consenting to this man's death. And he literally, when this man died, it's almost as if like they were worshiping and praising Paul in that moment for allowing this to happen. But as I was meditating on this and I was thinking about this, I was meditating on the fact of what Paul would have to go through after he was converted. 
the shipwrecks that he would experience. I'm going to read a passage of, of scripture here in just a moment, but he received 39 lashes on his back. Actually, the same amount theologians believe that Jesus received on his back as well. There were many times where he had sleepless nights. There were many times where he didn't know whether he was going to make it. He was persecuted. I would wonder, did he look back with thankfulness on where God had brought him from? And that's what propelled him forward to go through all of his suffering and difficulty. I meditated on this. Because I would venture to say that he had quitting moments. He had times where he wanted to throw in the towel, but he thought about, Lord, how can I throw in the towel when you've been so good to me despite how evil I was against your kingdom? I'll tell you something. When somebody that is truly messed up, when somebody that is truly sinful and opposed to God all of a sudden gets converted, watch out. That's going to be a powerful person of God. That's why we can't give up on praying for those in Hollywood. That's why we can't give up on praying for those whom we deem are not worthy to be saved. Don't forget, if it wasn't for the Lord, you wouldn't have been saved either. It's not something that we should be entitled to. It's not that we should have the corner on the market when it comes to salvation. Understand that he died for all, that all of us need salvation. All of us need the Lord. And there is nothing that somebody has done that would cause them to miss out on experience salvation if they choose to accept it. All of us. The Bible is full of wonderful examples and messages of hope despite unbelievable odds and setbacks. One such example is seen in the life and ministry of Paul, as I mentioned. Look at what Paul says in one of our main uh, texts. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Paul of all people knew what it was like to suffer. Are y'all with me? Listen to this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 22 through 31, he says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. He's literally giving his credentials for why he is a apostle of the most high because his ministry was coming under attack. People were trying to discredit what he was doing for the Lord. So he had to take a moment to defend himself and listen to what he says. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Five different times, not just once. Five different times, he says, I received 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced dangers from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, 
I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I don't burn with anger? If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I am not lying. That's heavy. Who am I compared to that? Anything that I would go through as a minister or as a pastor, like, pales in comparison to what Paul went through. And there's so much that I glean from him, not only as a man of God, but also as a pastor because he was so faithful to the Lord. But I have to believe that he had moments where, man, I don't know if I can take this. This is too much. He can identify with some of you out there. I don't know how much chemo I can do. I don't know how much ridicule and persecution I can undergo from my family members who were not saved. I don't know how much I can work at this job, but yet it's not ultimately what I want to do. And sometimes I feel like this is not what I'm called to do. And I feel like I'm just aimlessly going through life. Never despise the day of small beginnings. Never despise the day of small beginnings. You never know what God is using as your training ground. To you, it may seem minuscule and it may seem like, man, why am I even at this job? Why am I even working here? But do you know that God could be using what you were learning as a shepherd boy to eventually anoint you as king looking at the life of David? There are characteristic, there are, sorry, there are characteristics and qualities that God is birthing on the inside of you that really don't facilitate or, or, or can't be fully expressed in the realm that you're in right now, but God is using it for something greater in the future. So don't give up. Don't quit. Follow the peace of God. Stay put. Don't be like the rest of the world that doesn't like to commit. Stay committed to the process. If there's one thing that I've noticed about this generation is there is a lack of commitment. A lack of commitment to marriage, a lack of commitment to serving, a lack of commitment to what they have said they are going to do. And we all have made mistakes in this area. I'm not pointing the finger. But we have to honor our commitments. We have to honor what we have declared before the Lord and follow through with what we said we would do. Amen? Paul wrote so much of the New Testament inspired by the Holy Spirit and all of his letters contain messages of hope to help his readers overcome the urge to quit. The second point, as we look at our text in Romans 8, is creation itself is communicating a message of hope. Listen to this. Creation itself is communicating a message of hope. In our main text, we are told that creation in Romans 8, 19 through 22 is looking forward to a future day when it will be liberated from the curse it was subjected to because of the fall of Adam and Eve. Listen to what one commentator says. He put it this way. Creation does not here include the heavenly angels who, although created beings, are not subject to corruption, 
The term obviously does not include Satan and his host of fallen angels, the demons. They have no desire for a godly, sinless state and know they are divinely sentenced to eternal torment. Follow me here. Believers are not included in that term either because they are mentioned separately if you look at the later verses in verses 23 and 25, nor is Paul referring to unbelievers. The only remaining part of creation is the non-rational part, including animals and plants and all inanimate things, such as the mountains, the rivers, the plains, the seas, and the heavenly bodies. All of these are waiting to be liberated. After the fall of Adam and Eve, all of creation was cursed, according to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. God spoke to Adam and basically told him, the ground is cursed. See, what you have to understand is that when Adam was created, he was given dominion over the earth. See, a kingdom is a king's domain. So everything up under his domain was up under his authority. So when he fell, everything up under his domain fell as well. Because that's what a kingdom is. It's a king's domain. So when he fell, all of creation fell. When he fell, that's where sin and death came into the world. But also creation itself was subjected to a curse. Are you following me? Before the fall, there was no weeds. Man, those things are coming out with a vengeance this year, man, trying to pull these things out the yard. Before the fall, there was no weeds or poisonous plants, no thorns or thistles or anything else existed that could cause man misery or harm. However, after the fall, all creation against its will was subjected to God's curse. This carries the idea of being without success, of being unable to achieve a goal or a purpose. This is creation. Creation is groaning. It's wanting to be liberated. And the reason why it's wanting to be liberated and the sign that will show that it will be liberated is the revealing of the believers. When we are revealed, that's when creation will be liberated. So in essence, creation is waiting on us. Because creation is connected to our freedom. So when we experience our full rights as born-again believers, creation will be restored to what it once was. Are you guys with me? This was a powerful revelation to me. Because creation is literally cheering us on. It's literally fighting for us because it knows that it was subjected to the curse because of the fallen Adam. But when Adam or or us, even though we were born in sin, shaped in iniquity from our mother's womb, when we give our life to Christ and when we experience our full rights as believers, creation will be liberated as well. No more earthquakes, no more tsunamis, no more hurricanes. All of these are results of the fall. When the king fell, everything up under him fell as well. Although we have various environmental organizations and government agencies today making noble attempts to protect and restore natural resources and regions, they are helpless to turn the tide of corruption that has continually devastated both man and his environment since the fall. Are you guys with me? 
Such is the destructiveness of sin that one man's disobedience brought corruption to the entire universe. Decay, disease, pain, death, natural disaster, pollution, and all other forms of evil will never cease until the one who sent the curse removes it and creates a new heaven and a new earth. But let me tell you something. In our personal lives, Jesus says in his model prayer, Our Father, thou art... Thou art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So even though we have a foretaste, the Holy Spirit living in us, of future glory, we can experience that resurrection power now. So even though creation was subjected to the curse, the curse is broken for us in Christ. And we no longer have to be slaves to sin, and we no longer have to be dominated by our past. We can experience healing because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That's some good news. However, nature's destiny, listen to this. Nature's destiny is inseparably linked to man's. Think about this. When man's glory is divinely restored, the natural world will be restored as well. Can you imagine? Creation recognizes this and is eager for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. I'm not only fighting for future generations, because how many of you know that the fight is not just about you? The things that you are overcoming You are reaching farther than yourself. Every time you resist sin, you are breaking a generational curse in your family that's existed for years. Every time you make a decision, we're going to stick this thing out in this marriage, you may be breaking a generational curse that has existed within your family. By making a decision to follow Jesus at all costs, it could be that you are breaking the generational curse in your family of giving your life to Christ. Even on a practical level, deciding to go to college, deciding not to shack up together before getting married, doing it God's way, you could be breaking cycles of behavior that have existed in your family for years. God can use you. God can use you. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It's never too late in God. Did you hear me? All my seasoned believers in here, it's never too late in God. I've learned a lot from you seasoned believers in this place. You've taught me a lot about marriage. You've taught me a lot about not giving up. You've taught me a lot about persevering. Even in the short time that I've been here, we have some seasoned believers in this place. And the younger generation can learn a thing or two of how you've overcome. I'm thankful for all of you. Creation's waiting for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. But sometimes it's difficult to know who's truly saved or not. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, man, I'm not going to church. It's just a bunch of hypocrites. And you're not? All of us, I think I heard this in a message recently. I think it was by T.D. Jakes. All of us are hypocritical in one way or another in some area of our lives. All of us in some area of our lives can be hypocritical. Giving all the advice in the world about something that you yourself are now putting into practice. Oh, all of us. 
But what it really boils down to, it's an excuse. If you're looking for a perfect church, if you're looking for a perfect pastor, perfect people of God, you'll never find it. We all have flaws and we're doing the best that we can. But understand this, it is only through the Holy Spirit's help that we're able to do what we do. It is only by his grace. It is only by depending upon him that we can do any of this. He is the one that supplies. He is the one that gives us the wisdom and the understanding. And you, even as God's people, we covet your prayers. Pray for us all the time. Please pray. Intercede for us that God would move in our lives as we pray for you as well. Last but not least, and I bring this in for a close. The last point that I want to make is the Holy Spirit is our inner message or witness of hope. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is our inner message or witness of hope. Some of you may wonder why I wear this cross. I'm not trying to flaunt jewelry, not at all. This is something that my mom gave me when I was in high school. And on this cross, there's a dove that's in the middle of this cross and it's coming down. What this constantly reminds me of is the great exchange that took place. Jesus said that I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but if I go to the father that I'm going to send you a comforter, I must go, but I'm not going to leave you by yourself, but I'm going to send you a comforter, the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will lead you into all truth. He will not speak on his own accord. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness. He will be your helper, your helper, your, your helper. I can't even talk tonight. Your helper, your advocate. This is who the Holy Spirit will be. How many of you are thankful for what Jesus did, but you're even more thankful that he sent his presence in the form of the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of us. On the inside of us, the Holy Spirit's not just some force that's out there in no man's land. It's not positive energy. He is a person. Oh, let me say that again. It is not positive energy. Hashtag positive energy. That is not who the Holy Spirit is. He is a person. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, but each person is fully God, and yet there is one God. He is a person that lives on the inside of you. He is not the force. This is not Star Wars, all right? He is a person that lives on the inside of you, and I get excited because the Holy Spirit means so much to me. This is a part of the Godhead. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, He lives on the inside of us. He's taking residence. And this is why God can say with confidence, I will never leave you nor forsake you because his Holy Spirit lives in me. It's my connection point to God. Watch this. Romans 8.15, it says, For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. For the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Did you know that you've been adopted into God's family? You know what? This was always mind-boggling to me. If you were the one that crafted us, according to Psalm 139, when we were in our mother's womb, why are you calling us adopted children? You were the one that created us. But then I visited John chapter 1, verse 12, 
And this scripture says, to as many as received him, being Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Oh, listen to me. To as many as received Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, if we look at that scripture accurately, then we will understand that all of us are not children of God. We are all God's creation and he will never deny that. But the rights and the privileges and the authority and the power that comes with being a child of God is reserved for those who accept Jesus. And when you invite Jesus into your heart, there is a power that comes over you that you have never known before. There are rights and privileges. There is a joy. There is a peace. I'm not saying that there won't be difficulty in your life, but you will rise above the storm because God is in you. And by the way, when you give your life to Jesus, how do you know that you're saved? People ask me this, like Pastor Ray, like, how do I know that I'm saved? The Holy Spirit is that inner witness. I know that 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 I am saved. I know because the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God. And you cannot tell me otherwise. I know that I'm his. And I know that he's mine. And that's the confidence that I want all of you in this room to have. No matter where you are in your walk with God, I know that I'm his. I know that I'm in the palm of his hands and no one can pluck me out. I know that he that has begun a good work in me shall complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I know that he knows my lying down and my getting up, that he's well acquainted with all of my griefs, with all of my struggles. I know that I know. I know. This point was so difficult to narrow down because there's so many facets that we could talk about. And I have so many thoughts about the Holy Spirit. But listen to this. And this is my second close. (laughs) Please understand that the Holy Spirit does so much in our life. So much in our life. He is involved in so many ways. And he can often go unnoticed or unrecognized or not even appreciated. Somebody even wrote a book about the Holy Spirit, Forgotten God, because he is often forgotten about. And we neglect him. But watch this. The Holy Spirit, first of all, he's a person. We explained that earlier. John chapter 14 and 16. He is the one that draws us. He is the one that leads us to Christ. He is the one that brings about conviction in our lives. When the word of God is being preached, he is the one that causes that faith to grow within our lives. Are you with me? Salvation occurs through him. The Bible says in Titus chapter 3. He lives in us as believers. John 14 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He is a foretaste of future glory, Romans 8. He provides the inner confirmation that we are God's children, Romans 8. He lovingly convicts us to get back on track. I love him for that. Initially when I got saved... I loathed conviction, but I've learned to embrace it. I know you're working on me, God, and I'm at a point in my life where I just want to be exposed before you because I know that you have my best interest at heart. I don't want to hide anything. Search my heart. See if there be anything in me that's not of you. Search me, God. Know my heart. He lovingly convicts us back to get back on track. John 16, he prays for us when no words can be expressed. In Romans 8, he literally says that in your weakness, sometimes you don't know what to pray for. Have you guys been there before? 
Have you knelt before the Lord? And literally everything that you are facing is coming from all different directions and you have no clue what to say. Some people believe that this is when we pray in the spirit of this scripture is speaking about praying in the spirit. But can I be honest? There's been times in my life where I didn't want to pray at all, but yet the Holy Spirit was interceding for me. And all of a sudden I felt this strength. All of a sudden I felt this tenacity and this grit to get up and keep going. That's the Holy Spirit living in you. Jesus baptizes us with him. This is where we experience the baptism with the Holy Spirit, with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. Did you know that you can speak in a language before God that you know not? Did you know that when he comes and lives on the inside of you and when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that you can operate in the gifts that God has given you? I don't have time to go into this, but suffice it to say, Acts chapter 2, 8, 10, 19, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, there are Precious promises and gifts available to you if you're just open to what God has for you. The more we yield to the Holy Spirit by feeding him the things of God, the more evident he will be in our lives. Stand with me here in this place. One of the powerful components about being an adopted child of God is this. The Roman culture understood this. When a child was adopted, they actually had more rights than a natural born child. In other words, if a parent noticed, which is sad to say, but if they noticed something that was not pleasing unto them, that they could literally disown their child. Horrible. It actually happens in our world. Horrible. But watch this. If they chose to adopt a child... They can never disown that child. Never. No matter if there was something displeasing to them or not, that child would receive full rights as an heir of the family. God wanted to communicate that to us. That as his adopted children, everything that Jesus possessed, we possess as well. If it's healing that you need, Jesus wanted for you. If it's provision that you need, Jesus got it for you. If it's forgiveness that you need to receive or forgiveness that you need to extend, Jesus knows what that's like. Amen. With every eye closed. Maybe you're at a quitting place tonight or today. Maybe you're watching Welcome, New York City, Cold Spring. Maybe you're watching and you're on the verge of throwing in the towel. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Respond in faith to what God is trying to speak to you right there in your room. Maybe you're sitting next to each other, and I just sense this. Maybe you're sitting next to each other as a married couple, and it took everything within your power to watch together. I believe God wants to restore that marriage. Maybe you're watching from a hospital room. I believe God wants to usher healing wherever you're watching. Maybe you're a parent. You don't know the status of your child, but you're praying for them. I pray God brings them home. 
with everyone listening, is if, if there's anyone here, maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. He died for you so that you could experience life. He wants to come and be your all in all, but you have to surrender to him. You have so many messages of hope that are ministering to you, but will you respond? We have examples in the word. Creation is waiting on the sons of God to be revealed. And if that wasn't enough, the Holy Spirit is drawing. Will you respond? Is there somebody here or watching online? You're ready to give your heart to Jesus. Somebody here, you're ready to give your heart to the Lord. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're watching. Anyone here, you're ready to surrender. Thank you for that hand. Anyone else, you're ready to surrender. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Glory to God. Everyone repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and become my Lord and my Savior. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've fallen short. But I call upon you because you died for me. You were crucified for me. But you rose. And I know that all power is in your hands. I receive you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Give it up for the Lord in this place. Amen.